Good morning. Welcome to our service this morning. It's great to see you all here, and if you've joined us from home, thank you for doing so. Also delighted and pleased to welcome our minister this morning, the Reverend Terry Laverty. You'll recall that Terry was with us two weeks ago for our remembrance service. So Terry, it's good to see you back. You're very, very welcome. And of course, he's brought his best supporter with him, Sandra. So Sandra, it's good to see you too. Thank you for coming. Situation with regard to our vacancy, you know by now, I hope, that the installation of the Reverend Shaw will be on Saturday, the 8th of January. We are planning for it at the minute, and Muriel will have been in the vestibule this morning with a clipboard seeking some helpers. We are, at this stage, planning to have a reception afterwards, and if you feel you can help with that reception, then have a word with Muriel and get your name onto the list, please. We had a recent inspection, well, recent within the last week or so, of our premises by one of the fire authorities that advises us. We are advised that we need to have a fire warden. Now, if you feel that you could help and take on the role of fire warden, we would be very pleased. And if that's the case, have a word with George at the end of the service. George is sitting down on the desk this morning. And we will, of course, provide training for you. It'll be formalized training, and church will look after the expenses for that. So we do need a fire warden, and if you feel you can help, then please give your name to George. The church weekend, Tom Henry talked to you last week about the church weekend. It's the 4th to the 6th of March. If you wish to go, please give your name to Linda McKnight or to Laura Henry. And uh, the prices, in case you missed it, adults, £95. Children and teens free. So, names in please by the 16th of January. Next Sunday is Toy Sunday. We hope to have our Christmas tree in place by then. And if you wish to donate a toy, then leave it at the tree at the start of the service. The toys, as you know, go to the Vine community in North Belfast. And that is a, a procedure we have been using for several years now. If you're a distributor... You will have seen boxes about this morning for the Christmas distribution. Please collect your box before you go home today and take it and carry out your distribution, obviously. And may I just acknowledge the admin team and everybody who was involved in getting that distribution ready. When you see it, and when I went into the kitchen this morning, there's an enormous amount of work has gone into it. So my thanks, and on behalf of the congregation, thanks to everyone who was involved in making that preparation. Now, the PW Circle of Friends are planning to meet on the 6th of December. That's Monday week. It'll be readings and carols here in church. And, uh, well, they're planning some food as well. So if you feel you want to come to that, then, again, Muriel is organizing it, so have a word with Muriel. Now, there is no Life Lounge this month, none tonight, but... On other issues, I have been asked several times this morning about masks, and there's some information going about. I'm not sure if it's hard information or rumour that we're going to wear masks now throughout our services. All I can say is I have received no information to that effect at this stage. So it may be rumour, there may be something to it, but I'll leave you to make your own decision this morning as to whether or not you want to wear your mask. And as in everything else, it, of course, will be kept under review. And finally, I want to just point out 
the banners this morning. It's so easy to miss them in the alcove over there, and I'm sorry to you folk at home that you can't see them, but they look absolutely beautiful. They're prepared for us by Rini, and they're to represent basically Christmas with joy, hope, and peace. So it's thank you to Rini for all her hard work in preparing the banners. And that now concludes the announcements. Terry, I'm delighted to ask you to take over and to lead the service. Thank, Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. What a joy to be back with you again. Uh, lovely, as, as Billy has said about the banners. And look at this up here. Wow. Uh, oh, come, let us adore him. And that's the reason why we've come to worship today. Uh, those of you who are not with us here at home or wherever you are, are sharing online, it's lovely to have you as well. Um, and you can see at the front that there is a, a lovely candle. Um, I don't know who would be the, the, uh, the safety person about fire. Uh, I hope that I can do this right and not set the whole place on fire. Um, but th- today is a very special day in the Christian calendar, um, and that this is the first Sunday in Advent. And is that going to light? There you go. Oh, oh. It's a good job. It's a big, long t- uh, match, isn't it? Of course, that's the one for Christmas Day, isn't it? So, yeah, okay. So we'll light this one here for the first Sunday in Advent. And you can see that there are four Sundays um, in Advent. And I have given a a, a PDF um, to our good friend at the back here um, of a a series of Advent studies called the Jesse Tree. Uh, If any of you would like to do that, if you ask uh, at the desk, then maybe they could send it to you by email. Uh, a lovely study called The Jesse Tree by a girl called uh, Anne Voskamp. So this is a time when we look forward, and that's going to be the focus of our service today. We're going to be thinking about the miracle of Christmas, embracing the miracle of inca- incarnation. Imagine God in yucky nappies. That's what we're going to be thinking about today. Um, and so I trust that you'll be blessed as we share in our worship. You might say, and especially any of you who have, who have managed to come online uh, today, perhaps this is the first time you've ever, ever um, tuned into a, a Christian service. And you might say, what's the point of it all? Why, why do people meet together? And especially on a cold day like this, why come out uh, and gather together to worship? Well, the Scriptures give us lots and lots of reasons. And one of my favorite Scriptures uh, that reminds me to worship um, is Psalm 103. And so here's a couple of verses from Psalm 103, where the psalmist says, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. One of the reasons why we worship God is because He is good, and He is great, and He can change our lives for the better. And so, we're going to begin our time of worship by asking Him to come. One of the lovely names for God in the Bible that we read in the Christmas story is Emmanuel. That name means God with us. And so, we're going to sing an old, old song, an Advent hymn as we begin our service, as we pray, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Let's stand and sing together.
It's amazing that we're back into singing those old, old songs again, isn't it? And that name Israel is very important because if you know anything about the Bible, you'll know that that name Israel is a special name that, that God gave to a man called Jacob. Jacob means a deceiver. He was the one who grabbed at his brother's heel whenever uh, he was born. And Jacob was a man who wasn't very kind or wasn't very good. But God is a God who changes us. And that's seen in Jacob's life when God changed his name to Israel. And that name's very important because the name Israel means he who struggles with God and with men and overcomes. That's what Israel means. And so by faith, we are the Israel of God as we trust in Jesus, the one who comes to be our Savior, Emmanuel. And so isn't it amazing to know that, that God is the one who changes us, who makes us people who, yes, we struggle. Of course we do. We struggle with God. We struggle with each other. We struggle with ourselves. But he's the one who enables us to overcome. Thanks be to God. And so having sung our song of praise, let's now bow before God and pray. And as you close your eyes, I encourage you to open up your heart, open up your life, to this amazing God who comes to us to bless us. And so we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it's the first Sunday in Advent, a season of anticipation and celebration, a time to reflect on every good thing that you've already done for us in Jesus and to long for glorious things that can still be ours today. Thank you so much that you made promises that you alone can keep. You give peace that can be found nowhere else. You've pledged a hope that you alone can fulfill. And so we praise you, we bless you, and we worship you. And as Advent progresses, we ask that you would fill us to overflowing with gratitude, humility, and joy. The joy that came to earth at the birth of that special baby boy. Oh, Father, please grant us intense longings, like the ones that filled the hearts of the prophets of old, the shepherds, the magi, Mary, and Joseph. The promise of transforming grace and the Spirit of Christ thrilled and filled all of these servants of long ago as they anticipated and experienced the Messiah who came to make all things new. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that that's what you do. And so today, as we gather in Jesus' name, we ask, Father, that you would grant us the joy-filled reality that angels can only dream about. Those heavenly servants were overwhelmed as they pondered your unfolding story of redemption and restoration for men and women and boys and girls just like us and for the amazing world that you have created us to enjoy. Oh God, we are stunned and delighted to realize that we are the people that the prophets once spoke about. We are the people whom angels envied. Hallelujah. We are so blessed because we know that Jesus came to be our Savior. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that multiplied glories have already come to us, and yet we hope that many, many more will follow, all because of the sufferings that you offered in our behalf once and for all. Every promise that God has made 
finds its yes in you, Lord Jesus. And so we pray that this entire Advent season will be a time when we come back to your manger, back to your cross where you willingly bore our sins, back to your empty tomb that assures us that you're alive so that we may turn from our sinful ways, that we may receive your gift of everlasting life, that we may move forward with you every hour of every day into your new creation story as you equip us spiritually and supernaturally every hour of every day. Long-expected Jesus, you came long ago, and you're coming again. You're the desire of every nation. You're the joy of every longing heart. By your all-sufficient grace, you have raised us up. And we rejoice that you will raise us up yet again. And so please, fill us with your Spirit. Feed us through your Word. Lead us into worship with gratitude and anticipation, so that as individuals and as your great family here on earth, the church, we may rejoice in your loving and triumphant life. We ask all these things in that awesome name, of Jesus, the Redeemer, our Savior, and our Lord. Amen. Amen. We're going to uh, have the first of our readings for today, <coughs> which is found in Isaiah chapter 9 uh, and verses 2 to 7. If you're at home and you don't have a Bible, uh, but would like to be able to read God's Word, there are lots of uh, good apps that you can find on the, on the uh, internet. And so if you have your phone, if you go into the app store uh, and look for BibleGateway.com, uh, you'll find all of the Bible uh, uh, versions there. You can choose one uh, that you find helpful to read. And so I encourage you to read the Word of God uh, over this special season. So this is what we read from Isaiah. This was prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. This proves to us that God is a God who has a plan. He makes promises, and those promises come to pass. And this is great news. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Thanks be to God for His Word. Amen. Now, boys and girls, I've got a wee story for you uh, to think about today on this first Sunday in Advent, and hopefully we'll be able to see uh, the story now on the screen. 
The question is, have you ever felt like Bozo the elephant? And I can't read that, so I'm going to have to come away down here (laughs) to where I can read it. Yeah. Have you ever felt like Bozo the elephant? Do you see the picture of the elephant? He's in a cage, and he's not very happy. And so, lots of people during the, the, uh, the COVID time, you've been stuck in your houses, you've not been able to go to school. It's been very difficult, and I'm sure there are times when you've felt caged, just like Bozo the elephant. Well, I hope that his story will encourage you today. So, this thing is not working. Do I have to hold it in to make it start? Aha, here we go. Here we go. So he lived in a circus, and sadly, boys and girls, you can see that he always wore chains on his feet. His whole life was about performance. Nobody seemed to care for him. And I know that there are some boys and girls, maybe some even in church today, and you've been doing tests this past weekend, uh, the the tests that you have to do um, to prepare to go to a new school. And I know that you're always told that you need to try and do your best, and that's very, very important, boys and girls. But you know, God loves you, whether you're good or whether you're bad. God loves you. And so, poor old Bozo, his whole life was about performance. Nobody seemed to care for him at all. And he just became mad, and he started to charge people and frighten children. And as a result, the ringmaster announced that he'd have to be shot. Isn't that terrible? Terrible! And of course, because he ran the circus and all he wanted was money, a whole crowd gathered, and he even charged them to see when they were going to shoot the elephant. Isn't that the most terrible, terrible thing? But boys and girls, something great happened. Suddenly, a little man stepped forward and asked to get into the cage where Bozo was. And everybody thought, no, no, don't do that. You'll be killed. You'll be killed. But the man went into the, into the cage, and seconds later, the elephant was happy and raised his trunk and let a great big roar out of him. And everybody cheered and clapped their hands. How did you do that? said the ringmaster. Because Bozo was never happy with the ringmaster. Because all that the ringmaster ever wanted was for Bozo to work for him, to make money for him. And the wee man said, he's an Indian elephant. I spoke to him in Hindustani. He's just homesick. He's just homesick. Sometimes we feel a bit like Bozo too. You see the elephant in the cage in in an elephant's costume? We just long for someone to understand us and to set us free, don't we? Whether you're young or whether you're old, that's how we feel lots of the time. But you know, the great thing for us to know is that God knows each one of us, and He loves us. And He knows those of us who feel as if we're caged today. He knows and loves those of us who feel that we see that nobody understands us, but He does. And he doesn't just understand us. He actually loves us so much. And so we need to hear God say, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and my affection for you is constant. God loves you all the time, whether you're good or whether you're bad, whether you perform well or whether you don't. God loves you very, very much. You know why? Because he made you. He made you, and he made you special. There's nobody in the world who looks like you. There's nobody else in the world who's got a fingerprint like yours. God made you special. 
He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and my affection for you is constant. And in this lovely verse uh, that we find in Isaiah 7, we hear, Behold, a virgin shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. God with us. So we don't have to go somewhere to find him. He comes to make his home with us whenever we ask him to forgive our sins, whenever we ask him to come and be with us all the time in the good times and the bad, whenever we feel as if we're caged in, like some of you who are at home who maybe haven't been out to church, I'd love to encourage you to come out. There's loads of room up in the, in the balcony, and as you can see, uh, all of the, the regulations are being adhered to. So if you haven't been out to church, I encourage you to come out uh, to experience freedom again. But Christmas is a time that reminds us that we can be free, free from our sin, free from our shame, free from guilt, free from loneliness as we become part of the great family of God all over the world. And so Christmas is a great time to look forward to. And you can see the candle of the first Sunday in Advent as we look forward to Christmas Day when that white candle will be lit, as we look forward to Jesus coming back again sometime to take us all home to be with Him forever. It's so great to know that God is with us all the time. And so the song for you today is a simple song. God is so good. He took my sin, and now I'm free. He's so good to me. That can be your song every day if you ask Jesus to forgive you, to take your sin away, to set you free from guilt and shame, to help you to know that you'll never, ever be alone again because God comes to make his home in your heart. Isn't it great? So we're going to sing together. God is so good. Thank you so much for listening. Sunday school. Never forget that, that God is with you and He loves you. Whether you're good or whether you're bad, whether you're happy or sad, He loves you and He's with you always.
feel a bit like Daniel O'Donnell today with this thing on. This is the, the new headset that you guys uh, provided through the Harvest Lunch. Um, and so uh, I should be talking to you like this here, really, shouldn't I? I should say it's lovely to see you all now. So it is, it's just great to be able to gather here and sing God is so good, isn't it really now? Uh, but uh, yes, now we're going to read the scriptures. I'm a bad egg, aren't I? Uh, <clears throat> yeah. I can do Scottish and all, you know, I should really be on a stage, you know. But anyway, uh, we're going to read now from the New Testament, the, the fulfillment of what we read in the Old Testament. And that's really important for you to know. And again, I say to those of you uh, who are online who are perhaps not uh, regular church-going people, this is the really exciting thing about being a Christian, is that we know that God makes promises and He keeps them. And so, we see the fulfillment of what we read about um, in Isaiah chapter 9. That, as I say, was prophesied hundreds of years before in the gospel stories uh, that we read about uh, in the New Testament. And uh, the one that we're going to look at today is in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. And so, we read, in the sixth month, and, and Luke's very careful to give historical details. Luke is a historian, and so he's very careful to say exactly when things happened. So, this is not a fairy story. This is fact. This happened in the land of Israel long ago. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings! You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered, What kind of greeting might this be? But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, which means he will save his people from their sin. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Hallelujah. So Jesus is king forever. He is king now, and he always will be. We're going to sing a song now, which is really a prayer, that as we come to God's Word today to think about what this first Sunday in Advent might mean for us, we're going to sing this prayer. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the, the food of your Holy Word. So we sing together this prayer.
And so Christmas, Christmas, we've been hearing all the songs again in the shops, and we begin to sing again in church. But what does that little two-syllabled word, Christmas, conjure up in your mind? For many, many people, it'll be cards, although not so many people are sending cards now. Candles, as we've seen here, a crackling log in the fireplace, the curling steam from a mug of spiced punch and carols or Christmas dinners, all the stuff that we love at Christmas. Is that all that you think about? Or do you think about an extraordinary history-changing birth in a very ordinary rural setting in a town in the middle of nowhere called Bethlehem, far away in the land of Israel? The run-up to Christmas stimulates all of our five senses, sight, sound, smell, touch, and taste. And most of us can remember happy experiences of bygone days when familiar things like the Christmas tree and decorations were dragged out of their boxes. That's what my grandchildren were doing yesterday, getting the Christmas tree up. So excited. And so our memories run free at this time of the year. However, we know that those memories, while enriching our own celebrations of the Lord's birth, bear virtually no resemblance at all to the very first Christmas. There was a, there's such a massive contrast between the sights and smells of our homes and the shops and all that we do in church and the filthy eastern sheep corral where Jesus was born. Joseph had to clear a corner large enough for Mary to lie down within a few yards of tethered farm animals. And the air would have been rancid, reeking of manure and urine that had accumulated from one flock after another of sheep that had gone through that place. And before long, birth pangs uh, had started, and poor wee Mary writhed in agony, and Joseph had to sweep away the dust and dirt from one of the hand-hewn mangers that was carved from the soft limestone rock in the wall of a cave. It was covered with cobwebs and bits of straw, and so he had to clear that out. And it was there, alone and unaided, without strangers or friends, to witness her ordeal in in virtual darkness that that brave little teenager called Mary delivered her firstborn son. If any of us could have tried, none of us could have imagined a more lowly or more humble place for God's Son to be born, without even the slightest bit of pomp or circumstance. Emmanuel came into the mess. And a new sound was heard that had never been heard before. It was the cry of a unique newborn baby. For the first and only time in the history of the world, God was yelling his lungs out in a tiny human body. This is the mystery of Christmas. And it is a mystery. Yes, it's supernatural. But that's okay. Surely anything to do with God must be supernatural. And so let's allow ourselves to enter into that mystery. In John chapter 1, we discover that long before the creation of the cosmos in which we live and move and have our being, this Jesus was with God and was God. And in Colossians chapter 1, we learn that all things were made by Him and for Him. And hear this, in Him all things hold together. All things. That means your life and my life. That means everything that's happening in the world 
today in our time. In Him, all things hold together. He's that significant. But many of us are unaffected by these truths. And so today, we're going to look at the accessible side of Jesus' personhood, His humanity, which was manifested in a flesh-and-blood lifetime like yours and mine on this earth for 30-odd years, a long time ago. And the first thing to note is that Jesus' birth was every bit as human an experience as yours and mine. Mary had just as much pain as our mothers did, and the birth process was just as bloody and yet full of such mysterious beauty. I have a wee grandson, Jack, our fifth grandchild, uh, born just a, uh, about a month ago. Amazing just to see him. So unique and so special. This was Jesus, just the same. However, we know that Jesus' birth was different from any other uh, before or since because it was surrounded by miracles and wonders that are unrivaled in their magnitude and importance for all generations of people who have lived on this planet Earth. And this morning, as we begin to prepare our hearts for Christmas, we're going to look at three facets uh, of Jesus' earthly life on this first Sunday in Advent that will cause us, hopefully, to worship Him and to serve Him for the rest of our lives, if we'll just allow God's Holy Spirit to change us. And the first thought is is the mysterious union of both God and man in one human body in one special life. Jesus presents us all with this massive conundrum. Can a person really be 100% God and yet 100% human at the same time? Can intelligent human beings like you and me in the 21st century really be expected to believe that Jesus can be Clark Kent and Superman at exactly the same time? That's a tall order for rationalistic thinkers like us. But we're Presbyterians, And as Presbyterians, uh, we believe that the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament are our only infallible rule of both faith and practice. And so, I invite you to look with me at what the Bible actually says, so that we might ask God for faith to understand it and to actually live by it, not just to know it in our heads, but to know it in our hearts and in our lives. And we thank God for the four gospel writers— Four very different people writing for four very different reasons. And uh, so, it's interesting to see what they say about this special uh, person, the God-man, Jesus. Among the four gospel writers, Luke especially emphasized Jesus' humanity and the earthly circumstances surrounding His birth. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 7, we read that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths. She laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. We know that story so well, don't we? But what does it mean to us? If you have any imagination at all, you can practically hear the baby cooing among the coos. I'm from North Antrim. (laughs) And that's what they call them up there, the coos, you see? And so we can imagine, uh, if we think about it, Jesus cooing among the coos. And you can see Mary in your mind's eye learning to feed this wee baby, having found herself a comfortable place to sit among all of the agricultural context, uh, contents of that makeshift nursery. And there's no disputing that Luke saw this birth as a pretty normal earthly event, dirty nappies and all, hence the use of the term God in yucky nappies as the title for this meditation today. 
But then whenever we look at John's gospel, we find a different emphasis. And we know that Mark didn't mention Jesus' birth at all, and he had a good reason for doing that. And so it's important to think, why have we got the four different gospels? Why did they write the way that they did? Well, Mark's gospel was written to Gentile people, people who weren't Jewish from a Jewish background, and they couldn't care less about who Jesus was, about his birth and about his genealogy especially. Uh, Whereas that was a very big deal for Matthew's readers. Being a good Jew, all, all being good Jews, they wouldn't even begin to entertain any claim that someone uh, was Messiah unless they had a pedigree that linked them to King David and to Father Abraham. So you see how the, the Gospels are different. But let's get back to John's Gospel. John bypassed the earthly domestic aspects of the Christmas story because he wanted to emphasize Jesus' divine origin instead. Why? Well, because John was writing to thinkers, to people like you and me. And so it was his intention to clarify the theology of this birth, the theology of this incarnation. Theology means knowledge of God. And so with that in mind, let's remember what John writes in his famous prologue in chapter 1 of his gospel. He says, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, the living Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Wow! Note the absence of the stories of Bethlehem. No images of babies or in swaddling clothes or lying in any mangers. No, no, no. No genealogy of the Savior. After all, God has no predecessors. He couldn't have if He was God. God is and always has been. So John doesn't say one word about Jesus' birth or His childhood. Why? Well, that's a great question to ask, and that's what we need to be doing with the Scriptures. We need to be asking why things are the way they are. And one answer to that question is that his was the last of the Gospels to be written down, and so he didn't need to repeat what Matthew and Luke had already told us. But the main reason uh, for him writing the way that he did was that, that he only included information which would achieve his purpose for writing his gospel. And we find that at the end of his gospel in John chapter 20 and verses 30 to 31, where we read, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and, hear this, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Not just human life, everyday life, the mediocrity of what we do every day, but everlasting life, a spiritual quantitative life that you can never have without Him. So there's John's reason for writing. And we thank God that we can know eternal life in Jesus' name, based on our uh, reasonable knowledge and belief in one of the greatest miracles of all time, that God and man really did, and in fact, still do coexist in the same body at the same time in the person of the Lord Jesus. On the basis of what these Scriptures clearly teach and what has been observed for over 2,000 years of Christian history, biblical scholars declare Jesus Christ to be the only theanthropic person. There you go. 
Isn't it crazy? Theologians, theologians have to use all these great big words. You know, why they have to do that, I don't know. But anyway, theanthropic, it is quite simple whenever you think about it. Theos uh, means God. Anthropos means man. And so, theanthropic means God-man. So, God's Word teaches us that Jesus was the God-man. He is a miracle. There's never been anyone like Him before, and there never will be again. He is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. But you might say, so what? What significance does that have for us here in 2021 in Bangor? Well, the theanthropic nature of Jesus is important to you and to me for a couple of reasons. The first is that it establishes His authority to be God's Savior of the world. Because He is God, He really is able to conquer sin and death and hell and all of the problems that you and I have in relation to God. He can set you free, and He can do it supernaturally because you can't do it yourself. So supernaturally, He can set you free from all of the sinful thoughts and habits that you hate about yourself, that drive you further and further and further away from God and His will for your life. And because He is the Savior, He can supernaturally offer to you the gift of everlasting life that is something that we all can and must take seriously. Maybe you've never taken it seriously before, and so I invite you to do that today at the beginning of Advent. Even though those of us uh, who feel so guilty and unworthy, and there are many people who are like that, and I've met many through the years who've said, but Terry, Jesus couldn't possibly be interested in me. He couldn't possibly have died for me. You've no idea about the things that I have done in my life. I feel so guilty and ashamed. There's no hope for the likes of me. Well, please hear this today on this first Sunday of Advent. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have done. God loves you. And so hear that in these crazy COVID days. Know that Jesus loves you, and He really can transform your future if you'll just let Him into your life. Jesus is not just a religious nutcase like so many other religious nutcases in the history of the world who want you to choose His brand of spirituality in a world full of religious ideas. Get that out of your head. That's not what Jesus is like at all. There's only one Jesus, and He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is God. And as such, He alone has the right to demand your allegiance and the authority to deal with you and with all of the affairs of this little world of ours. And so, because Jesus is 100% God, He's incredibly powerful. He's able to impact upon our daily lives supernaturally. He is the one who can do impossible things. Hallelujah. And so, expect great things because He is God. And also because he's 100% human, then he is also amazingly available. Isn't that good? So you don't have to go anywhere to find him. The Scriptures tell us from his own lips, where two or three gather together in my name, there I am in the midst. And so Jesus is present with us now. And he's with you at home because you're with us here. Isn't that amazing? 
Emmanuel. He is God with us. He's here. And He knows every single weakness that you have, every struggle that you've had as a human being. Why? Because He's been here where you are. He's had the same struggles with temptation and struggle, fear and disappointment, rejection, all of that. He's had that same experience. And He has promised never ever to leave you or forsake you. And so, whenever we put these two aspects of the theanthropic Christ together, we can get very excited. Why? Because we suddenly realize that there's no problem of any kind that He can't deal with. And there's no time. Listen to me. There is no time when His presence is ever absent from those who seek Him. No time. And so we should say, wow, in our hearts to that. We need to stop and we need to take this in. Those facts are incredibly comforting and empowering for us. Why? Because we know that Almighty God is on our side. He's with us. And we know that this self-serving God is also by our side. He's not just on our side. He's by our side. And so there's no challenge or struggle that we cannot face because Christ is for me, living in me, working through me all the time. Isn't that great? If you're a Christian today, that's your testimony. And you need to say that every day, and especially whenever hardship comes. You need to say, hold on, hold on. Christ is for me. He's living in me. He's working through me all the time, whether I feel it or whether I think it or not. It's a fact, because He has promised it to be so. And so the cry of our hearts is, hallelujah, how great it is to be in Christ. What a fantastic thing it is to know this Jesus, who is 100% God and 100% man. And all of this was all made possible by the miracle of that virgin birth that we'll celebrate in a few weeks' time. It's amazing, amazing. And so it's all supernatural. The birth of Jesus is like our new birth when we become a Christian, whenever we become a child of God, whenever we're adopted into the family of God. We can't do that on our own strength. It's supernatural, just like the birth of Jesus long, long ago. And salvation, whenever we enter into this relationship with Jesus, whenever we're born again from above, whenever we, be, we begin a whole new life with Him, salvation brings about a new creation, according to Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Whenever you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Oh, it's the best thing. I really encourage you today, if you've never let go of the old, by handing it over to Him and saying, Lord, I can't cope with this anymore, and I can't help myself. Please come and save me. Wow, what a difference it will make for you. It's brilliant to actually experience it. Don't miss it. And so we've been reminded that Jesus is the God-man whose birth and life speak of God's miraculous intervention into our messy human experience. But the most amazing and relevant thing about His incarnation was His purpose in all of it. 
for you and for me. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus emptied himself. From our human point of view, uh, Jesus coming to this earth is the stuff of miracles and mystery. But from his divine point of view, it meant a total change of lifestyle for him. We need to think about this because we'll never understand his love unless we do. It's hard for us to imagine what he gave up becoming a man for our sakes. He went from sitting at the right hand of God to lying in a feeding trough among stinking animals, to struggling as he grew up in Nazareth and experienced increasing rejection and abuse as he began public ministry. And yet, hear this. He deliberately chose this radical change of lifestyle for you, yes, you, and for me too. At one moment, he was ruling the universe, and the next he became a little nobody of a human being who was to become an object of scorn. You know, it's amazing to think that Jesus chose such a fate for you and for me. And yet he did, and through it all he displayed a servant's heart. Paul summed it all up in Philippians 2 and verses 6 to 8 when he said that Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. For you. For you. And for me. And so on this first Sunday in Advent, we find ourselves asking, why? Why would the King of Kings do such a crazy thing as that? Please hear this. Jesus underwent the painful process of emptying himself for a very important reason. It was to appease the wrath of his Father against our sin, your sin, and my sin, and to offer you and me the gift of eternal life. And so here's the bottom line, I suppose, for us as we begin the Advent season yet again. Without his life and ultimate sacrifice of dying on the cross, you and I would be destined to live eternally without God and without hope. We would just live our mediocre lives from day to day, doing the stuff that we do. You know, we work and rest, we go to church, we play, we shop, we do whatever we do, we mark off the seasons and the years go by, and the mediocrity of life. If we don't take into account the incarnation and what it means for us, we will never, ever know the reason for the season. We will never, ever experience the personal impact of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. However, as God-wearing nappies, Jesus became the greatest gift that any human being like you or me can ever know. In 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 8 and verse 9, the Apostle Paul speaks about it very practically and very personally in terms of a straightforward transaction, a deliberate thing that Jesus did for you to make your life completely different 
from the mediocrity that you were born into. Listen to this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. Why? So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Not in terms of pounds and pennies, in terms of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In terms of a life like the life of Jesus, the best life that anybody can know. That's what it's all about. It's amazing. For your sake, he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I ask you today, have you become rich yet? And if you have, if you know Jesus, if you know that Jesus is in you, working through you, providing for you every day, are you rejoicing in that richness? Do you see it as the greatest gift that you can ever know? to the point that you are even willing to say, you know what? It doesn't matter what happens in the days that lie ahead. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Do you know that? It's the best thing to know because then you have no fear about what lies ahead. I want you to think seriously about all of this because the greatest act of contempt that you or I can ever perform as human beings in the lives that we live on this planet, the greatest single act of contempt that you can ever perform is to disregard the incarnation of Jesus as if it was just an old, dusty story in an old, old book, as if you were to treat Jesus as though He is something less than the Lord of all creation and the one and only Savior of our messed up world. That's the greatest act of contempt that you could ever, ever perform. And so here's a sacred moment now for you. You've heard who Jesus is, that he's 100% God and yet 100% man, that he came for sinners like you. Let's just bow before him now. And let's just ask him that our hearts and lives may be transformed supernaturally as we confess our sin that angers God. Sin is spent, spelled S-I-N. I in the middle. I've been doing what I want, Lord. I've disregarded you. I have acted with contempt in relation to you. I'm sorry. I confess my sin that angers you. I know I lay all my hold now on Jesus. I can't believe it that Jesus loves me that much. Me, with all the mess in my life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that though you're God's beloved Son, you came for me. 
Thank you. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that you'll help me to give you what's right for my life. To stop giving you what's left. And so may this Christmas be filled with all the goodness of you. 100% God. 100% man. We praise you. And so we're going to end our time together by singing of this great mystery. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he would give his only Son to make wretches like you and me his treasure. Wow. Let's worship him together.
so as we bring our worship to an end, I share with you the lovely doxology that we find we find at the end of a little letter to Jude, where he writes, To him who is able to keep you from falling, and to present you before his glorious presence, without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority, through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. And I pray now upon you a blessing. This is your spiritual equipping, so that you can go from here knowing that God is in you, working through you for His glory. And so may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship and power of the Holy Spirit be with you and all whom you love this day and forevermore. Amen. And so go. You have been blessed. Go to be a blessing in Jesus' name.